0: Hello, America. This is Daryl back again with another episode of The Triumph here with Don Rushing. We're kind of tag team in this episode today. And we have a special guest with us today. She's the assistant CFO at Keller Williams South Valley. Um, excellent at her job, pr- provides an excellent professional environment here for several hundred agents. And we're excited to have Carrie with us, Carrie McEwen, to talk a little bit about some of her experiences. Carrie, thanks for being with us.
1: Thanks, Thanks for
0: having me. So Carrie, uh, just to jump right into it, we wanted to talk a little bit. You've been awesome to share a little bit of your story with some of the agents around the office about your experience with addiction to drugs. And um, we wanted to talk a little bit about your journey. And I think to start off, I kind of wanted to start um, maybe back in the beginning and get a little bit of an idea of kind of your, where your mindset was at and kind of where you felt like The trajectory of your life was at the time. How old were you, Carrie, when you started, when you realized you had an addiction to to drugs?
1: Well, I believe it started honestly with my first surgery that I needed to have after I had had my fourth child. I Uh was about 23 years old. And when an addict tries something um, for the first time, if they have that in their system, if they already are prone to an addiction, something is triggered. And so I believe my addiction started with the very first pill I took post-surgery, um, just after I'd had my son, my last child.
0: So you had your fourth child, so it wasn't like uh, you were a teenager in high school or anything like that. This was a surgery that you'd had, so this pain medication that you were prescribed.
1: Correct. I'd never had any alcohol, um, nothing of yeah. that nature. However, I had always struggled with some anxiety, uh-huh. which later on we'll talk about how drugs are just this false end, a false solution to the problem, uh-huh. where really the root of it is, is anxiety and depression. And, and we'll talk more about that yeah, later.
0: But... Awesome. Carrie,
2: um, <clears throat> you hit on something that I've, I've always found intriguing. I've spent a lot of time thinking about, it, and I just kind of want to get your take on it. And that was, you mentioned, you know, if somebody already has this or or is prone to this addiction, already has uh, this inside of them, once they get exposed to whatever that item is, then starts that journey of their overcoming that. Um, So two things on that. One, tell me a little bit about where you where that idea for you came from, like, as far as like, uh, is that something that just kind of, is that like what I call like a download where you just kind of get some information? Is that, is that something that just kind of came to you? Did someone else share that idea with you? It felt right. And then, and then secondly, um, do you believe that was always in you? Um, and, and what are your thoughts? Are you, are you thinking that every human has something, whether it's drugs, whatever, whatever it is, something like that in them? And what do you think the purpose of that would
1: be? That's a really great question. I remember as a child, the way that I would overcome feelings of anxiety at school was to do something repetitive. Hmm. And it might have been little like uh, cleaning out my desk. It wasn't um, an extreme side of OCD, but it certainly was something of that nature to help calm myself. And I also believe that I had an addiction to perfectionism. I grew up in a culture where we strive to be perfect. And it was obviously something that can never be attained. So you can see where the downfall of that might be with your overall feeling of self-worth. But when someone was able to verbalize this for me for the first time, and yes, it was in my treatment center. They weren't making the connections throughout my life because they didn't know me, but I made the connections. And yes, it just seemed like, Wow, that is that is something that I need to really consider in this journey of overcoming. Hmm. And I believe as human beings, we all have addictions. Some of our addictions are just a lot more transparent than others.
2: Right, right. Some of us get a hide them uh, right. more, more than others and yeah. Right. And that's why I asked you about that. I, that again, that's something I've come to realize and, and think a lot about that I I do believe we all show up with something, maybe a few things even. Uh-huh. Uh, I do think there's a purpose uh, in it and it's not to to give us an indication of who we are. Um, I, I think there's great value in learning to overcome things, right? So
0: Absolutely. I just wanted to
2: get your take on that. And if you don't mind, I wanna very uh, gently, Touch on you, you. You mentioned you grew up in a culture about perfectionism. I don't think we need to point any specifics out, but I'm assuming you're referring. You you had a strong religious background, correct? And that was the perception you got of of that experience, correct? Absolutely. Just, just for I think context, it goes without
1: yeah. saying that I just grew up in Provo, Utah.
2: Gotcha. Yeah. And I think, I think it's important because I think there's a lot of people that can, listeners that can relate to that. And we're not interested in, in bashing anyone just, uh, but I think your, your story can be very relatable to a lot of people. So, um, okay. Perfect.
0: Yeah. So maybe just talk about, give us a little bit of a, kind of a, a picture of what your life was like, you know, pre-surgery about that time you had four kids, what was kind of going on in your life and. What was kind of the trajectory? Did you feel like your life was had at that time?
1: Well, to be quite honest and transparent with you, I started feeling like my marriage may not have been this fairy tale and that my life seemed a little bit controlled, not by an individual, but just... Um, like I said, feeling the need to be perfect in in so many different ways. It was really self-imposed um, or my lack of understanding of what life was really about. Mm-hmm. But I, I felt continually like a failure. Like I was constantly mm-hmm. coming up just a little bit short. So I found that these medications after surgery would calm my troubled heart they would make me escape these feelings of inadequacy that I was feeling. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so naturally, um, with each passing surgery, which I had uh, about 14 in the space of eight years, I was having severe health challenges. And with each surgery, sure enough, I held on to these pills two, three weeks longer than I should have. And that led to me needing them pretty much all the time to feel normal
0: yeah okay okay so do you want to share with us a little bit about your journey i know you had some some thoughts that you had put together um kind of like what that whole experience was and and uh kind of what you went through
2: well
1: oh i yes don
2: oh sorry well in line with with where daryl's going i i was curious um so you had, you said 14 surgeries? Uh, yes. In the span of how many years?
1: Eight years. Eight years.
2: Okay. So you were easily two every every year. Mm-hmm. Um, was it after all the surgeries when you realized uh, maybe this, uh, this addiction had moved into the driver's seat and put you in the passenger seat? Where do you recall a time when you kind of knew that, okay, I'm no longer in the driver's seat um, mm. and, and and this addiction is? Was it after all those surgeries? Was it sometime th- in there? Um,
1: no, I would say... I would say almost immediately, Don. Oh, wow. Okay. In fact, I would say that some of these procedures were probably done, in fact, because not necessarily that I needed the procedure as much as I wanted the pills after the procedure.
2: So in your mind, you're thinking, okay, I don't necessarily need the procedure, It's not though it's not going to necessarily harm me if I get it. So I'm just going to go ahead and get it because I know after the procedure I'll have access to more of these medications
1: yes the power okay. of the drug is incredible to the to the mind Right, and this insatiable um, craving you do whatever it takes any drug addict out there can agree with me that you just it's almost like you have no choice it is the yeah. only choice however during that time I can't tell you how many times I wanted out I wanted to be free of this I did not have the knowledge or willpower
2: when to do was it. when was your first moment when you desired to be out of it um, do you recall or, or it was when, early on was it as well okay
1: it was it was really early on I I think going back to that question that you asked of when i knew that i was out of the driver's seat was the day that i almost lost my life.
2: Hmm. So tell of us Of course there
1: were there were pieces of that earlier on, but yeah. the day that i knew that i had to do something, live or die, was that day and i can tell you a little bit about that if you yeah. want.
0: Tell yeah. us a little
2: bit about that experience and i'm also curious prior to that moment was this something that you kept relatively hidden successfully or um, like kind of when was the time period when those around you huh. um, kind of knew and was it correlated with that experience or was it before that experience?
1: Or so I thought, I thought that I was keeping my secrets. Right, right. Silent. I
2: mean, yeah. Don't we all, right?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. But inside I knew that I was hurting my children and my, my marriage Mm. And I wasn't keeping them as quiet as I thought I was. Gotcha. Uh, drug addicts or addicts in general have this, this brain power. We are really, we are fighters. We are creative. We are, <laughs> no one can say no to us. Mm. So in a way we feel like we're king of the world and we can, we can do whatever we want. We can hide whatever we want, but inside these secrets make us so sick. So, Mm. so in while lying in my hospital bed, let me back up for a second and say that in the early fall of, of 2018, I'd had, what was my final surgery? It was a neck fusion. And In the days after the surgery, I found myself taking one extra pill, two extra pill. That was a pretty painful surgery. And so I was, Mm. because of the tolerance I had built up, obviously, prior to this, I was taking a lot of pills to maintain a level of comfort that most people would just need one or two pills to get by, where I was taking three or four. so. Really, I can honestly say unintentionally, I took too many pills. And this, this was the week of Thanksgiving. And it's all a blur to me because I had turned completely crazy. I had stayed in bed for three days and I had lost my mind. Mm-hmm. And finally, I guess the day after Thanksgiving, my family decided she's got to go to the hospital. So we went to the ER, and my systems of my body were all shutting down. And had I not gone that day, I probably would have lost my life. So Mm -hmm. to that, I am very grateful for my family and for their decision to do that. what's interesting is I remember being in the emergency room and just opening up like a book to my family and telling them all of these mistakes that I'd made and my addictions, I was finally admitting to them, which is really a huge thing for, for an addict to do. And I knew that some of the things I told them that day hurt them. And I was still a little bit in and out of whatever it was that I was dealing with. I remember seeing in grids, my body was shutting down and so, but but just releasing that, it was like finally having the permission to just release, okay, they know that I'm a drug, drug addict finally, although they knew it much earlier. Just being able to say those things was the first step in healing. And so I, I want to read right from my journal because I find that writing is a very healing mechanism for me to to overcome something and it also allows me the ability to go back and reflect on experiences that I've had so that heaven forbid I ever have these challenges again I will be able to see that you know what I overcame and I survived once and I'm going to do it again so so I just want to read read from you starting on with, with this, my liver was really the main issue uh, with my organs. So my lig- liver was angry and inflamed to nearly toxic levels. I spent a week recovering in the hospital, regaining my strength and allowing my organs the proper time to heal. It was also at this time that I let go of my pride and admitted I needed serious help. I was honest with myself and I was honest with my family and shared that over the last several years i had relied heavily upon pain medications to bring relief to discomfort with each surgery i had i held on to them for too long in the recovery process i also and asked acknowledge and asked for forgiveness from my hospital bed that and i would i promised them that i would check into a recovery center however it frightened me um, I wanted to free myself and them from these horrible habits that I had identified with them. And as we talked about earlier, these habits aren't the root of the problem. The drugs are just a false end or a a false solution to a real problem that was much greater than that. So for 51 days I spent away from my family,
0: Hmm.
1: even just talking about it is pretty traumatic but I spent it in this home in Draper for women and for 51 days I shed tears every night feeling isolated and for 51 days I worked like I had never worked before and every day I sort through my emotional scars my trauma and much-needed healing I was surrounded by angels both living and unseen souls and certainly my deceased grandparents and my niece Sarah and even my grandchildren now that I have I know they were watching over me and and with me during this period of isolation because they were vested in my soul they wanted me to live these loved ones carried me they soothed my broken heart Never abandoned me and always encouraged me to just take that next step. And the earthly angels, including my parents and my family, and those doctors, those physicians, those skilled physicians in that uh, home were there for me. And these physicians who knew these battles better than I did would end up saving my life also in this new called home that. was that I lived in I was told at that point by my former spouse that I would never be returning to my home that Mm. and and I and I have such compassion for him and the pain that I caused him and I can say that now but at the time I was quite hurt and angry from that um so from that home I I had one day about six hours to find a place to rent and I found a home that was probably about four miles from my home that I raised my children in. So it was just like just close enough, but so far away at the same time. And I remember crying myself to sleep every night in that home thinking, I just want to spend one more night under the roof with my children mm. that I, in the home that I raised them in. <clears throat> well, months went by and I graduated from three levels of treatment and each day I learned to persevere and move forward and eventually find happiness again and at that point I not only learned how to survive but how to thrive and now I'm learning that here at Keller Williams which was my second chance at life I'm gaining new friendships and this place has become a home for me and very much my family lives within these walls every day from nine to five and I felt like this sense of belonging again because with with addiction addiction is very isolating and very you feel very alone where in a place like this you feel like you contribute you're a part of a family and and months passed and my children came back into my life and are now fully, but that took a lot of time and a lot of tears to regain their confidence in me. And here I am um, a year and a half sober in this this month, this coming month. Oh, wow,
0: That's awesome. And
1: I owe that to, to this experience that was heart-wrenching I, I want to paint a picture for you. These treatment centers are kind of like the movies where you sit in a round circle and say, hi, I'm Carrie, and I'm an addict.
2: Really? I've always and
1: wondered. And what's that?
2: I, I've always wondered that, how accurate yeah. those depictions
1: are. And my, the only thing I didn't realize was that here I was sitting in a circle with uh, meth addicts, with prostitutes, with cocaine addicts and heroin addicts, whoops, and at times in the beginning when I was still prideful, I I felt like, well, I'm not like any of them. I I'm just this housewife who happened to fall into addiction hmm. of of pain pills. But in time, when I became humble, and a lot of that was through the twelve steps of addiction with Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you become humble and you realize really our differences are far our similarities we have far more similarities than differences and our differences are few even though we were maybe brought up differently and I didn't struggle with some of the same issues a drug is a drug is a drug and an addiction is an addiction so we were all there for the same reasons and we became sisters in that home and some have stayed my friends since so
0: that's awesome um it's heart-wrenching listening to that story and thinking about your your kids and and you describe how you were feeling I'm I'm curious to know like I, I imagine someone listening to this and maybe relating with that pain or that isolation that you felt what advice would you give or what what counsel would you give in terms of you talked about learning to survive and then learning to thrive what did that look like What advice would you give to someone that goes, you know, I, I know that pain. I feel that like every day and I hate it and I don't know how to, I don't know how to survive. I don't know how to thrive.
1: I'm so glad that you brought that up because my 12th step of addiction is to help other addicts out there. That's my 12th, the 12th promise that I've made and in order to do that i have to be honest and as mankind as humankind we have a tendency to fight against what's good for us and mm. every day i thought i can't do this i don't want to be here i it's so much easier to stay uh, uh, as an addict or how i was previously than who I want to be. It's just easier to stay where I'm at. It's easier to stay stagnant. And there's a story, I guess I had been in the treatment center about a week and it was so hard because those places, they kind of unbuild you, but for the purpose of rebuilding you to build a new foundation. So it was like four o'clock in the afternoon at the treatment center. And I just thought, I had met with my therapist and of course he'd called me out on stuff that I was completely guilty of, but was too prideful to admit. So he said, well, Carrie, I know you're not a runner, so you're going to be just fine. And in my mind, I thought, Oh, challenge accepted. I'm the most stubborn person alive. So like two hours later, I just bolted out the front door. And this is the middle of December. Okay. (laughs) I had, Ugg boots on. And I don't even (laughs) think I was wearing a coat. I walked three miles to the gas station and used the the gal's phone across the countertop to call my spouse. And he he came out with my parents to the gas station. And he said, Carrie, you don't have a home. This is your only home. So your idea if coming back to the kids and the dog is not even an option. So with tears, they returned me to the treatment center. And of course I was punished for a week. I couldn't make a phone call. It's like jail. You
0: have three (laughs) calls a day or whatever.
1: And (laughs) they had to take away that privilege from me for a week just to learn from my lesson of running away. But that's just to illustrate the fact that as human beings, we fight against what's good for us. And that's really the, first stage of admitting that you have a problem and entering into one of these treatment centers, you're still trying to come to terms with the fact that you're an addict, that you're different from someone else. Yeah. But I've stopped, I've stopped labeling myself, even though they tell me that an addict will always be an addict. I've had to stop labeling myself as such. I label myself as a survivor because you can't in this world of healing, you cannot be a victim. Victims never heal. Survivors heal. And you have to start identifying more with that side than the latter.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great, that's a great one, Carrie. And you've, you and I have talked about that very fact before and you've shared that with me and and I have another close friend that uh, has been through the AA program Uh, and uh, yeah you know she said that same thing how they always uh, uh, say you know you want to carry with you that label of addict Uh, she's gone the direction of you uh, to say no I actually rise above that and I'm not that I'm a survivor. I'm a thriver. Um, and I think that's a good point because, you know, we are the stories we tell ourselves. And mm-hmm. we're going to act those stories out, um, whatever, whatever that self-talk is. And you're never going to be, you're never going to rise above your own self-image. And, right. and so, yeah, I've, I found that very powerful when you and I were talking about that and you shared that idea with me uh it was already something i believed in but you know th- those are the little things when i'm talking with someone and they point those things out i'm like that's how i know i'm a- among a, or around a giant you know when they have ideas bigger than the rest of the world because um, yeah the rest of the world the ideas were victims um and i would say you know 85 ish percent of humanity right now is in the victim stage and um, you know well they did this to me or my, my government is the problem or or she said this or um, and they never rise above that self-image of a, of a victim um, and and the reality is is we're always whatever i've been in my past that's still part of me of course uh-huh. um but it's it's not my future by by any means um you know one as you were talking about you know when you talked about the challenge accepted from <laughs> <laughs> uh, about uh, being a runner um let me ask you this Carrie, and I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but I've never really uh, – I don't think we've ever really dove deep on it. I'm curious your take about um, – so in line with you accepting that challenge to, to run, um, how much of that, how much of this, how much of, the, of what you deal with on a daily basis or um, – or how much do you think, in general, as humans, um, the idea of control over <laughs> virtually every everything—I um, don't know how how big of a role do you think that played in in some of your experiences, and and how do you view um, like what is your take on control? Uh, even in your own life uh, or over your own life or whatnot. Tell us, what's your thoughts on that?
1: I'm really glad you asked that because for some reason, a couple of days ago, this, this thought came into my mind because I was dealing with a challenge, an everyday challenge, and I was at home. And I was able to work through this issue in my mind in a different way than I would have four years ago. And that showed some healing on my part that I don't have control over over everything. One thing I want to touch on is that, and I spoke with Daryl about this earlier, the definition of insanity is when you do something over and over and over again and expect a different result. Mm. And you are insane when... You do these things over and over and you still get the same result. Like right. a means to an end, popping a pill, a means to an end, do it again. Oh, same result, same result. You're insane. Yeah. And and you have to come to terms to that. You have to be honest with yourself and say, okay, I've got an issue. So I remember when my children were all growing up, they, every day they had the perfect hair, they had the perfect part, they had the perfect bow, they had the perfect outfit. I've grown so much from those days. I have found to embrace the chaos and that it's a beautiful life. Do I still have to think about these things? Yes. Because my natural instinct is to go back in default. Whoa, whoa, what's happening here? I'm not, I, I want control, but I don't. Now I've learned that it's okay. But that was a real struggle for me, Dawn, growing up and even into my marriage. And it, it was interesting because when you're, when I was punished for walking away that week, that was the first time that I ever recall really feeling a consequence for being, I think before I had gotten out of consequences, I felt like I was, was above all that. But when someone told me that I couldn't make that phone call, that was like my lifeline. I thought, "Whoa, this is this is a consequence." I it's a it's not only a natural consequence, but it's an imposed consequence
0: mm.
1: where someone else had a decision that changed something I did or or was upsetting. I I will be honest with you and say that through decisions I made while under the influence and I still take full part in them and responsibility. I was actually excommunicated from this church that I had grown up in. And that was another moment that I recall thinking, wow, I don't have control. This is in someone else's hands. And it, it took me a year to sort through those feelings of, wow, I've been completely abandoned again not by family this time, but by an organization that I've really worked so hard for and served many years for, and now they don't even want me. And that was something that I, it took a year to recover from. And, and I've, I've been re baptized into that church, but my mindset is much different now. And I take, I take what I believe and I hold on to it and I leave the rest. Hmm. Where before I had to take everything, I had to accept everything. But I just leave what I know I can't, can't do. Gotcha.
0: I had a question for you, Carrie. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned how you made the comment, like, it's just easier, you know, to stay an addict. You know, like when you were feeling that in the home, like it's just easier. And yet the the opposite experience of when you're feeling like I hate this I want to change like can you speak a little bit to the duality of that like what makes a difference in the one moment where you're like I hate this I need to change I want this and then when you're in the other moment where you're like it's just easier to stay an addict like I just leave me alone I just want to stay this way
1: wow I felt that every three minutes in the treatment center you'd Mm -hmm. go back and forth like a pendulum back and forth back and forth and you have to go in with that mentality that that's just how you're going to feel for the first three months. Yeah. You know what it's like when you're an, when you're an addict and you earn that one-week chip at an AA meeting? You feel like you've conquered the world that week. Yeah. And then you earn your three-week. And then you earn your one-month. And you feel like you're in the bracket of winners. Yeah, Because your, your life at that point is hour-to-hour I remember, and I want to speak to these these souls that are struggling right now when you decide to make a change it's gonna be painful, and you're gonna have to go through pain without doling it without removing it because of a drug. You have to physically feel feelings, and let's be honest, feelings are the worst feeling yeah. and you oh, you right. have you have to deal with those feelings and you have to work out and make the bed that you just unmade and these hour this hour to hour i remember speaking again to these souls every night getting to the point where okay i made it today i lived today i have i have this sleep i've earned this sleep wow. tomorrow's going to be a new day but i made it and i lived one more day <sighs> And then about twenty one days into it, which is three weeks, which is oftentimes what they call a span of a habit, twenty-one days, you start feeling like, okay, I can I can do this. This is to today, tomorrow it's gonna to be done in, with a little less pain, with a little less discomfort. And I'm not gonna feel at that point you're not feeling quite the withdrawal as you do, did before. So you're starting to feel yourself again. <coughs> these layers are These layers of an onion are being unpeeled away from you, and your therapists are getting to that root—the root of the problem. Mm -hmm. But I would just encourage these souls to just make it one more day. And I know from experience that receiving that one-day chip is just as rewarding as receiving that year chip. Yeah, because you—you made it. You lived. You're survivor for that one day. And, and, and I want to say to them also that you are worth it when you enter, when, when you decide to change your life. You're worth it. You're, there's nothing that you have done in your life that cannot be undone. Mm. and And you can make your life everything you want and you can start feeling every emotion you want to feel again. And you'll discover soon that having a clear mind is the greatest blessing that you can have. Yeah. Because you get to feel those things. You get to experience life where before you were just coasting. I was so unhappy because I knew I wasn't living to my potential. And Daryl, you said something a minute ago about, I don't know what it was, about changing the past or or whatever it was that I thought when you, when you were talking about this, I wouldn't change anything as painful as it was because I have more friends in my imperfect state than I ever did in my perfect state. Yeah. And I believe today, because I started from the bottom, that I am the person that my being was meant to become.
0: Yeah. Mm. You know you talk about that that feeling of like coasting versus you know just coasting through life versus actually doing what you're put on the planet to do and the difference in that feeling I'm curious too if you have just one more question as far as like the justification I thought that was interesting because like I think it's it's easy to look around and go oh yeah I don't have a problem I'm not like those people you know or or it's you know, whether it's drugs or whether it's how we eat, oh, you know, it's just, you know, I'm not as overweight as that person <laughs> or whatever it might be, right? Like, we have yeah. the most amazing ability to, like, rationalize and justify mm-hmm. in our mind why we're okay. It's everybody else that's just a little bit overboard, right? Yeah. What, how did you break through that? Because, I mean, this is an in, this is a individual victory. You know, this is your story and your victory and your overcoming this. I mean, how did you break through that cycle? I I just thought that was an interesting observation you had. How did you do that?
1: Well, honestly, it was through blood, sweat, and tears. It was through not being afraid to work hard and to willingly walk through an unpleasant experience, knowing that surely on the other end of it, I was going to be a better person.
0: But what was it that he, made you realize that, hey, you're really not that different than the person who's the math? Isn't that true? Yeah. Like, what was it a counselor? Was it something? Was it an experience? Something hit you in the head and said, hey, you know what? Maybe I really do need to like pay attention to this because I'm really not that different.
1: That reminds me of an experience, actually. We were all sitting in our rehab circle, and a girl <laughs> was sharing her life. And she had had a really hard life. She was a prostitute at like the age of 12. And she mainly did it just for drugs. She she sold herself for drugs. And I remember being so, so traumatized that I actually had to leave and go into the restroom. And I remember just sitting there. And shaking like this, like I can't believe I'm hearing this. This is so different from anything I've ever heard in my life. I didn't know these things existed. Yeah. And then I, I had a counselor come in, and I was in tears. And she said, "Carrie, she was, they're so real with you. You are no different than her. Where you're at right now, wow. what you did getting here, different. Where you are today, the same."
0: Wow.
2: How did that strike you? At that was that like a was that one of? I'm sure I'm sure you had many, but was that a wake up moment to a degree? Like you know,
1: absolutely. Because pride had was infecting my life. Pride mm-hmm. overrun my life, and when you're in that situation, you have to become humble. And there's two ways we become humble. Either we're humbled by someone or we have experiences that humble us. <laughs> we're either going to be humble or we are, we're either humble right now or we will become humble.
2: <laughs> it's right. one or the
1: other. Right. And in that moment it, I was put in my place. And as, so I went back, I remember going back into the circle and I don't remember anything else. She said the girl after this point, but I, I remember going up to her afterwards and, and saying, you know, we're, we're in this together and mm. I'm sorry. I had to walk out, but I, I want to apologize to you that I, in these, what, 10 days been here, I felt, been, I was better than her. I felt like I, I thought that that I was better because I didn't have the level of addiction that she did, but right. I, that was completely the wrong mindset. And any human can relate to that. We are not better than anyone else on this planet. You might be the president of the United States or the guy packing the groceries at Smith's. Neither one is better than the other. We are humans here to have a human experience. And they're going to have trials just like he's going he's to have a trial just like he's going to have a trial. Yeah. To, and, and these these trials are only sent to us to make us who we really are meant to become. Right. Whatever you believe in, it doesn't matter if you believe in God, if you believe in any higher power at all. The we're all here to become who we are meant and destined to be. Yeah. So, just because, just because I felt like I was different and better. Um, That was actually stifling my progression until I I recognized in myself, okay, this is one layer of the onion that I need to get rid of in order to be whole again. Mm. And now I look at people differently. I see them for who they are. I see their faces. I see their light. Because I don't want people to judge me. And I don't want people to judge me for where I've been. And if they do, I guess that's on them. But no yeah. one wants to be judged. Everyone yeah. just wants to be loved. And where there's right. judgment, it's hard to love.
2: That's interesting. So let me ask you then, um, You, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that um, by you not judging anyone else, um, you feel like that frees you from... Um, any judgment placed upon you, if it ever is, because Amen.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I I've learned, and I've heard this. I heard this quote: "There is no one I don't like after I know their story.
0: Oh, we all
1: wow. have a story. Yeah. Wow. There is no one you won't like after you know what they've been through. You'll have compassion on that's, them. Yeah, that's powerful. And that compassion will take place. That that compassion will take over judgment."
2: Wow, thanks for sharing that. I'd I'd never heard that before. uh, um, Yeah, that resonated really well, though. Thank
0: you. Awesome. Carrie. we're going to take a break right here, but when we come back, I want to talk um, a little bit about what were some of the habits that you changed and put into place, whether it's through the 12 steps, that really put you back on the path to uh, get back in the driver's seat in your own life. We'll be right back after this. All right, we're back again with uh, Carrie McEwen. Carrie, we appreciate you hanging on with us for this last little segment. Uh, we've been talking about addiction and really just the challenges we all face. And Carrie, I wanted just to get into some of the habits or some of the things that you felt like really started to make a change. You know, I love the a quote from uh, Charles Dickens, uh, The Christmas Carol, where he says, something to the effect that we're all, we're all fellow passengers on our way to the grave. We're all in the same journey. We're all human. We have different challenges or struggles. How we get there might be different, but we all deal with the same stuff, right? And so I wonder if you could offer, you know, some of your insights from your experience that could be applicable to everyone and whatever they, whatever challenges they might be facing, whatever struggles they might feel like they have, um, what are some things that they could take away to help them just um, move on and, and overcome and, and uh, triumph like you did?
1: I think that's great. I love that quote, Daryl, because it's true. We're all on the we're all on a journey, and even though though our journeys take place in different places of the world and we have different challenges, we are the same. We're all mankind here to help each other out. And I think I love how you want to spend the next few minutes just focused on how we can each take have a takeaway from this. And one thing that I learned in treatment, which I'm sure a lot of you do every day anyways, but maybe some of you don't, is that every day you need to wake up and make your bed. And I know that seems very small and insignificant, but it's it's more than that. It's developing a habit. And I'm telling you, once you put those that duvet back and those pillows on, you just feel better about yourself. That small act, we had bed checks. We had to, that they would go around our rooms and make sure that we had made our beds. And at that point, it's because we were like in our infancy of learning new things. But, and you don't have bed checks every day. Your mom's not in your house. But I'm telling you, this small, simple practice will make your day better. And plus, it learns, it teaches you a little self discipline. So that's something that we can all. Yeah. Um, apply yeah. I but I thought too we could focus on the 12 steps which many of you may not even be aware of and maybe as we discuss these things as listeners we can think about challenges as challenges in our life that we want to overcome or maybe addictions that we want to overcome and how these steps they're pretty inspired steps I, I mean I was never an alcoholic but if you ever really want to learn about addiction this Alcoholics Anonymous which in the in the club we call the big book it's <laughs> it's really it's like scripture to us yeah. so uh, and it's I mean it's been around for a long time it's tried and true but these 12 steps, even though they sound uh, like spiritual again i want you to reflect on your higher power whether that be god or or whether that be a spirit or just an even an energy that you feel because it's the you have to you have to identify what your higher power is and what's what's going to help you through this journey of life before we can make any changes so i'll just begin with the first step and that is admitting that we were powerless over alcohol. Now, alcohol can mean anything. I was powerless over a prescription drug. And my life had become unmanageable. Admitting that, like I said, unlayering those levels of pride that I had, I had to admit, yeah, my life's pretty messed up right now. And guess what? I was the root of the problem. I, I made it that way. This beautiful mess. Uh, number two, I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, that it was going to take something other than myself because I am not enough. I am insignificant. I needed something of a greater power to help me. Number three, I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care and safekeeping of God or my higher power as I understood Him at that time. And we all have different levels of understanding of who God is or who this being is. And so you have to do it at that moment. Think about who you know in that space at that moment. Number four.
0: Those first three steps, I'm, that's a lot of letting go.
1: I know, yeah, right?
0: True. Yeah, that's like a... It,
2: let go of the control.
1: Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It goes back to what you said, Don. For I made a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. You know how many pages of journal I took up just on this step alone? Hmm. A moral inventory Everything that I maybe done wrong or I felt like I'd done wrong. You, you have to do that. You have to identify the problems before you can fix them. Right.
2: Yeah. Right. Right.
1: And then the next step, not easy. I admitted to God, to myself and any other human being that I had done wrong to the nature of my wrongdoings. I felt like I had a moment of that in the <sighs> hospital but I didn't – it was almost like I was just giving the words. I was just saying the words, and I didn't mean them. Until I was in the treatment center, did I really mean that I was sorrowful for the for, sorrowful for those things that I had done wrong, that I had taken ownership, complete ownership over them? Mm. And at that point, you have to be ready, number six – to be, to have God remove these defects. I remember my counselor had me write these things down and made me stand in a room with a fireplace. It was an outdoor fireplace. And he had me burn them. Wow. So that I could finally, he knew that the person that I was, I was never going to be able to forgive myself for the things that I had done. So he, I needed to have a physical representation of letting go, of letting it burn in right in front of my eyes, and that I was ready to remove these defects, finally. Mm-hmm. You, you can never change without a willingness of heart. You can never change. If you guys have anything to add while I'm saying these steps, we're on awesome. step seven. Just jump right in. Number seven we ask him to remove our shortcomings, which are many. We all have them. Every day we face them. So we, so we. so now that we know we've made this moral inventory, we can actually say, we can utter them. Okay, now will you take them away from me? Will you help make this burden a little lighter today? Whatever this power is that's greater than you, which... There is a power greater than us. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. There's just evidence of of that. With whatever we believe, there's something greater. Um, Then we have to make a list of all the persons we had harmed and made amends to them. We have to make amends to them that we're willing to say that I'm sorry. And I remember pulling my kids. I was at the stage in one of the levels of treatment. I think it was my last level because it takes a while to work through these steps if you're doing them right. Mm-hmm. And I <clears throat> I remember apologizing to my kids and they were gracious and listened, but I don't think it was until a few months, well, not even a few months. I want to say even a year after that they, yeah, I would say they've been in my life full for fully for about six months, that they really... It was you, you. When you say sorry to someone, you can't control how they feel back. Mm. And so I was I had. I had to have. I had to have the willingness and be okay to sit in that emotion of saying sorry, but not receiving. You're forgiven for several months later. Mm. So mm. you. That's hard. Yeah. And painful. You can't control the way another person feels and you have to give them that right and that room to, to feel that way. And then when they do come around, it's for good. It's, it's, it's a pretty amazing, amazing feeling. It's like yeah. embracing a friend that you haven't seen in 15 years because it's real. It's genuine. It's on both parts. It's not just one person wanting it and the other not ready to receive it. Uh, Number nine, I make a direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when it would be to injure someone or myself. So you could imagine some of these poor addicts that have really hurt say other drug addicts maybe they've had friends die because of them because Mm. of dealing they can't that would just harm you can see in some instances where that would harm the other party yeah and i've even seen that with in treatment i saw that with parents a a mother with her children it would have been harmful for them to even connect Mm. you have to be okay with that but that's an important step of of this 12-step process Number nine or 10, excuse me, you continue to take personal inventory whenever you're wrong, which means I'm not still per- you're, No one's ever perfect in this, in this process or life. And then you promptly admit it. So when you're wrong, you admit it. When you're wrong, instead of having it build and build and build to the point where you can't handle all this emotion, so you want to suppress it with something. But just yeah. think, if if we woke up every day, did something wrong. Oh, hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have snapped at you like that. Or that was quick to judge of me. I shouldn't have done that. You just get in the habit of of doing something mortal, and then having a better way of of fixing that. Kind right. of an immortal, a, a, <clears throat> an angelic response of, "Oh, I shouldn't have snapped, or I shouldn't yeah. have judged, or I shouldn't have said." Because then you things, can just move on
0: rather than suppressing it or trying to hide it. Or
1: You have to. Yeah. Because like I said in the beginning, secrets, secrets always make us sick. They always yeah. make us sick. Hiding things make us sick. Yeah. Suppressing makes us sick. 11. We sought through meditation or prayer to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Praying only for the knowledge of His will for us, and the power that He had to carry it out. So, that saying in my it, this is Carrie, this is Carrie's version of that, that I'm humble enough to let a, ha- a higher power take control of my life and guide me. Because I can, I can tell you right now, Carrie would have never chose, chosen this path, but I would have never been refined or put in that fire had it not been because of my higher power. He knew he was molding me into something better, more relatable. Yeah. And I, even though we would have never chosen that, this to me says, I'm going to have the faith in this higher power or God to carry his plan out on me. Let his plan work in me and let me be evidence of that plan for him. So
2: letting go control again.
1: What's that? (laughs) Letting go.
2: Letting go of the control.
1: Oh, it's so hard and yet so necessary. Okay, the 12th step. This is my favorite because each one of us can do this every single day when we wake up with a clean slate. Hmm. Having had a spiritual awakening... As a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics, and I might add to addicts, to everyday pe- to normal everyday people, to colleagues at work, to friends on the street, to our loved ones, and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Mm. You, you are your greatest example of what you have survived. You are your greatest example of what you've overcome. Let your story live in you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, by who you are today. And I guarantee you, as I have, you will relate to so many more people when you're willing to become transparent and honest and humble and saying, yeah, I was kind of a screw up, but look where it got me. You yeah. know, it's because actually of an associate in one of these levels of drug treatment that I got this job at Keller Williams. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Uh he said, "Hey, there's this job opening at this place. You should you should try for it." And I was so I was so scared. <laughs> and I took I took a chance and so out of this pretty ugly experience came something so beautiful
0: that
1: that I would have never had had I had the perfect life and I'll I'll be honest with you and say that some nights are still hard for me some nights I still cry myself to sleep because I feel really alone Mm. and I don't know if that's because I lived 23 years under the Under in a marriage and under the roof with my own children. But it's it's a new life. It's a life of peace. I have a grandchild now, and I know that soul, that little soul. I knew her before she came to this earth. And the first time I held her, I remember thinking, you took care of me in my darkest moments. I'm in, it's my turn to mm. take care of you. And you you saved me and you comforted me when no one else could. And now it's my turn to comfort her. Mm. And that's a beautiful cycle of life. Yeah. That no matter how dark or how lonely overwhelming life might seem at the moment something beautiful can come from from where you're at right now and if I I had any final words uh, my favorite quote my favorite book of all time is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl Mm. Uh, he is a really good example of someone who was put in a very awful situation and chose no matter how hard to see the good there's a quote uh directly from the book and this focuses a lot on freedom and when i think of the word freedom and how it relates to drug addiction i'm free i no longer have those chains around me and for that i'm grateful but but just listen to this quote we who lived in a concentration in the concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of his freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. Wow. Powerful finding this quote, this is this is the very paper. I, I found this, one of my kids had given me a quote a day to open in the treatment center yeah. and this was one of the days and before I left that treatment center, I thought, oh, how can I leave my mark with these women? How, how can I, what's a way of saying that I love you to have hope? And so I posted this on the window of the center that you go each night to get your medications so that they could read that each night as they, as they left and it's, or as they got their medicines. And I've been back to that treatment center since I spoke to a group of women. And that was pretty powerful because I remember at the time when I was just starting out and we had guest speakers, I remember thinking, how did that person make it one year without drugs? Yeah. And here I am. I'm at a year and a half and I have a
0: lifetime to go. Yeah. Of of just being clean. So yeah. mm-hmm. Kira, your story is beautiful and really inspiring and it's exciting to see your life now and what you're doing and the success you're having and to hear from hear you talk about some of the things you've overcome. Just one last question, just in closing, if there's anyone listening to this who feels like they need some help or they're struggling, or maybe they're a family member who feels like they have a family member who's struggling or needs help. What advice or what do you recommend that they do?
1: Well, first to those souls, I think it's admirable that they're in a place that they know that they need help. Mm, That's the first step. Yeah. And the second is that there are resources all over our community and when you're in those places, resources to help you get through them. Yeah. And no one is without help. Yeah. Even the even the drug addict on the street right now, um, who who just doesn't even know if he'll make it through the day.
0: Mm.
1: There is hope, and it's just around the corner. That. You know, that, that book, The Alchemist, it's one of my yes. favorite where they describe a pyramid or, or a mountain, a great mountain. And this, this man says that so many quit right before the peak right. where they yeah. can oversee the land and view those pyramids. Don't quit before the peak, before the summit, right. because I guarantee you, you're just feet just inches away From taking in that view, you just to make it a few more inches and and ask someone for help. And if when you when you're willing and you're submissive and humble enough to ask, that's the first step in getting help.
2: Yeah, Carrie, and I think you're really just hitting on the probably the biggest reason why, um, or the you know one of the most important reasons why I wanted to have you on the show was uh, just so you know I think there's a lot of people and and I've had my dark moments this conversation isn't really about me but the same experience where I saw in that moment and and I think some of our listeners could be there and hopefully they hear your story and I I'm confident you had this experience that that deepest darkest moment uh, where I was ready to just throw in the towel but I saw someone's light and by seeing by seeing their light it was all I needed to just just try one more time and uh, and that's that's really yeah, I think that's very valuable. Having you today, and and just letting people see that light, like you were saying when you when those women came back and uh, at the treatment center when you were there, and and you're seeing their light, going, how in the world have they gone a year? And now now people are seeing your light, and and uh, you know another thing that's always impressed me about you is your Courage and willingness and very, very willing to be transparent and the courage that that takes because we live in a world where transparency is viewed as a weakness uh, because you have to be, make yourself vulnerable and and we view that as a weakness. You and I have discussed that that's actually a superpower because only strong people can do that. Weak, weak people cannot make themselves vulnerable. You have to be very powerful and and I've recognized you as a very powerful individual through your transparency. And and I often think about how our world would be instantly changed if we were, if we had the courage to, and we created a space where people were safe to be transparent. Um, at, at any rate, I think that's one of the very powerful traits about you. And it's certainly, you know, been something that's encouraged me in my own life so yeah thanks for coming on today and, and being willing and having the courage to share your story and and expose yourself uh, I think the world needs more examples of powerful people and this was an example today uh, powerful people are not people who control others uh, or or should I say have the illusion of controlling others powerful people are guests just like you were are willing to make yourselves transparent and no longer carry on the facade of perfection so thank you for creating that space for us
0: appreciate it yeah thanks for sharing your story it was inspirational and uh, that's what this podcast is all about is about triumph and we appreciate you sharing your triumph with us and hopefully uh, all those who listen to it can gain inspiration from that and we appreciate you giving us your time today
1: thank you